So good morning. Thank you for being with us here this morning. If you are joining us online, we are so glad that you're here in spirit, if not physically. It is really good to gather together. There are, if you missed it coming in, there are note sheets um, on the back tables. I don't typically do note sheets. It's not my style. I am of the opinion, like, if people like something, they can write it down. But I did note sheets for you today. <laughs> this morning, we are continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount in this series that we've called Disruptive Discipleship. And a couple of weeks ago, Eric talked about how the Sermon on the Mount, found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, specifically, it's also in Luke, the book of Luke, um, is considered the greatest sermon in history. People either love it or they hate it. And that's an impactful, that's an impactful sermon. If somebody hates your sermon, you know you did something right. People love it because it's got some really great ethical teaching, and people love the ethics of Jesus. Have you ever heard? Even people who don't know Jesus will say he was a great ethical teacher. He was a great teacher of ethics. People who hate it, hate it because they feel like it's too idealistic. What is this message? Nobody can live up to this, which is false, because someone did live up to those standards, and his name was Jesus. The thing that I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's not just about ethical teaching. Here's how you should live your life. Now, we get a lot of ethics in there, but it isn't just about ethical living. This sermon that Jesus gives, he's tying ethics, so how we live our lives, with theology, how we think about God. So he's saying how we think about God should affect how we live our lives. The whole book of Matthew centers on the, mess, on the mission of Jesus announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. It's a recurring theme, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You're going to see it over and over and over in the book of Matthew. And because Matthew is writing this gospel to a predominantly Jewish audience, the theme of kingdom is going to have a significant impact. The concept of kingdom would not have been lost on them. It's not going to be new. So it's going to hit a place internally that would force the audience to do some connecting of the dots between Old Testament ideologies and New Testament realities. So I want to talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about what the kingdom of God actually means. So the Hebrew understanding of kingdom of God was that it was all about God's reign, his rule, and his dominion, his sovereignty over all things. So this kingdom plays itself out a little bit in the Old Testament through the people of Israel. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests who reflect and represent, and as a result, bring evidence of God's rule and reign to the nations around them. They don't do it. We've just spent months talking about it. Their kingdom was a dismal failure. Now, there are snippets within the Old Testament narrative where we do see that incredible display of God's authority and dominion. The Exodus story, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, really awesome stories that display the complete and total authority of God. Yahweh is king, but the nations don't recognize that. Israel didn't even recognize that. So Yahweh is king, but he also has to become king in a way that is manifest in the world around us. And this happens through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Matthew's message is about the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign arriving on earth. Jesus is the Messiah, the righteous king that Israel had been waiting on, the one who will show us and teach us what it means to truly live under God's authority. The kingdom of God is here. Is it a physical kingdom? Well, look around you. Not yet. It will be, so get ready, but it isn't yet. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's this tension of already the kingdom of God is here, but not yet do we see it in full. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual reality. It wasn't what the Jews were expecting. With the, the arrival of the Messiah, they were anticipating a physical kingdom, a king who would literally come and annihilate all of their enemies. It was true military might. And that's what made the message of Jesus so hard. He wasn't giving them what they wanted or what they expected. They wanted a literal kingdom. But that's not the reality. For New Testament writers, there are two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Who do you think runs the kingdom of darkness? Any, any, anybody? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> it's that wily serpent from Genesis 3. The one who wants to usurp the authority of God and bring as many people down with him as he can. The kingdom of God is not at war with the nations, lest we forget who the real enemy is. And I think I will say that again. The kingdom of God is not at war with the nations. It's at war with the kingdom of darkness, who has been running rampant in the nations since Genesis 3. So the arrival of Jesus in first century AD is the inbreaking of God into human history and the redemptive work of God being fully realized. It isn't about one tiny kingdom in the Middle East conquering all of their, their enemies and being subject to no one. It's about the kingdom of God coming against the powers of darkness. In Jesus, the kingly power of God is present. It's attacking the kingdom of darkness. It's invading the kingdom of darkness. It's strategic. People start being healed. People start being delivered from demonic possession, spiritual oppression. People start learning what it is to actually live under the rule and reign of God here on earth, no longer subject to the kingdom of darkness. Now, Satan is not powerless yet, but his power has been broken because Jesus has arrived on the scene and said, the kingdom is here. God's rule and reign is here. And I'm going to show you how to live. Now, this is a pretty long introduction to the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to realize a couple of things. We're talking about this because I want you to realize a couple of things. Number one, the kingdom of God is here. God's rule and reign and dominion is present and it's happening all around us. This is a kingdom message. Number two, if you have responded to Jesus and have accepted his word as true, then you are a part of this kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is for you. The message of the Sermon on the Mount is for you. 
This isn't just about good ethical living or idealized living. This is about how we live in the kingdom of God because it's here. How we live because we are no longer part of the kingdom of darkness. Paul says in Colossians 1, you have been transferred out of that kingdom and brought into the kingdom of the Son. We have accepted God's rule and reign. Now we know that his kingdom will be made manifest on this earth. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Already, but not yet. Life in the kingdom is now. This Sermon on the Mount isn't about, it's not a message of oppressive living. Here are all these new rules that you need to follow. It's a message of freedom, of liberty. It's not idealism. This is how we can live in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is telling us in this message. There are lots of things that are, that are mentioned throughout this message in Matthew, but there are three big ideas that emerge in the text. What do we do with our anger? our hate? What do we do with our desire? And what do we do with our anxiety? Something that I want to be very upfront about is that Jesus's message about these things, anger, desire, anxiety, it's not that they don't exist in our lives anymore because we're a part of the kingdom of God. They do right now. They are very real parts of our lives. So it isn't that they don't exist. It's about what we do with them. Living in the kingdom means that we have to learn what to do with the big emotions that rise up in our lives. We live in a world that indulges anger, desire, and anxiety. It is, the world is governed by these things. It takes pride in those things. Look around you. People take pride in their anger and hate. And it's justified. People justify it. People take pride in their lust and desire, and it's indulged. It's encouraged. People are encouraged to be afraid. There are some things to be afraid of, but guess what? There's more to be afraid of. To remain afraid, people become controlled by these things. And Jesus says, he has the audacity to say, not in the kingdom of God. This message is about freedom, remember? Life, true life. John 10.10 says, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So anger, desire, and anxiety do come up. They are very real parts of our lives. But the difference is that when we live under the rule and reign of God, we don't allow them to become our masters. They exist. They don't govern our lives. We learn to master them. Last week, Eric talked about what do we do with our enemy? What do we do with our hate? We love our enemies. If you missed that message, you can go back and listen. Uh, I believe next week we're talking about desire. And you already learned this morning, because Nick read the text, we're talking about anxiety. And I want to say before we move on that we're not talking about the anxiety that is medically diagnosed. 
the anxiety that results from a chemical imbalance in the body, that's very real. And saying, don't be anxious, is not helpful. That's not the type of anxiety we're talking about. We're talking about the type of anxiety that is the situational type, the worrying type, the fretting, the can't find inner peace type, the keeps me awake at night type, the kind that we all experience. Now, I want to read this text again because we've had some chit-chat in between the readings. And also, you guys know I will never apologize for reading a lot of Scripture. So... We're going to Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We're going to read that again. This is what Jesus says. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God and above all else. Oh, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now this specific passage comes as a result of Jesus talking about money and possessions. He's talking about physical things, physical need, the physical concerns that dominate our lives. And he tells them before this passage, don't store up your treasures here on earth. They're just going to fade away. Store up your treasures in heaven where it will last forever. Build up that internal, eternal, secure treasure. Now, the majority of people that Jesus was talking to at this point in the book of Matthew were going to be poor people. Some may have had a little bit of wealth, but most of the people hearing this message would have been people with very little beyond basic necessities. And the basic necessities they did have were dependent upon things like trade and crop yield, weather, seasons, all of it. It all felt very up in the air with genuine concern on whether or not there would be enough for the next day. This, in and of itself, is plenty of cause for stress, for worry, for anxiety. Because anxiety, what it is in this situation, is the worry, stress, or unease that arises when things feel uncertain, insecure, unsafe, out of control. And it can be consuming because a basic human need is the feeling of security. I know where... Things are going to come from. I know what I'm going to do with them. I know that it's going to be constant. Some of the people listening to Jesus were going hungry. 
They had no shelter. They had very little. And that basic human need of security didn't exist. And here Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't let the insecurity of these things control your life. And I want to be clear, Jesus is not being insensitive here. He wasn't giving a trite answer. It wasn't a platitude. Jesus understands what it's like to be human. He felt compassion for the multitudes because he saw their need. He saw it. What they were being consumed by. The worry that was taking over their lives because they just wanted a little bit of security. And his message to them was this. Security... Real security isn't found in what you're looking for, money or possessions. True security is found in the Father who is giving you what you need, what you really need, and that's life. Abundant, true life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What better method than to leave people consumed with worry about basic needs. Because when worry consumes our lives, we don't really live. That's not life. And Jesus wants to give us life, freedom to live abundantly in the kingdom of God. Now, that being said, that this doesn't really change the reality of physical need. A person's still got to eat. But the beauty of this message, the beauty of the kingdom of God, it's that, it's that it's played out in community. It happens in community. Jesus isn't preaching a message to a multitude of individuals who are all going to go out and live in individual kingdoms. That's not what's happening here. Though there are individual implications, the reality of the kingdom is that it's lived out in community. We walk out these realities together. We live out the reality of the kingdom of God together. Because when our security is rooted in the knowledge of the Father and who he is, who he truly is, and what he is really doing through his rule and his reign, and our security is rooted in the fact that he cares for us, he cares for you, he cares for me, then we can give freely to our brothers and sisters, our community, the people around us in need, because we're convinced we're secure that he will care for us, and we're not afraid. God uses his people to meet each other's needs. We see this um, in the Old Testament law. There are laws built in. Here's how you do, how you treat widows and orphans and the foreigner. Here's how you treat crops so that people who have nothing are fed. We see this in Acts chapter 2. The, church, the early church, they pooled their resources. They gave to those in need. They knew what was going on in each other's lives. They took care of one another. They lived without fear for their own needs because they found their security in the Father. And they cared for one another. They found abundant life in the kingdom of God. And they lived it out together, aware of those in need, giving to those in need, afraid, unencumbered by anxiety which is really lovely, right? But what happens when worry is no longer about physical need? What do we do? We live in an area where food insecurity is not super common. It's not absent, 
but it's not super common. Most of us in this room, most of us hearing this message this morning don't have to worry about shelter or clothing or food. We're fortunate enough to be in a space where the basic necessities of life are covered. Now, side note, if you are experiencing a time where basic needs aren't being met, please reach out to us. Please reach out to us. I just said that we live in community and we want to be able to help you. And if you need this type of help, please reach out to us. On the note sheet, there is an email address at the, on the back side of the sheet, help at Eagle Church. Reach out to us because we want to help. But if your anxieties your worries, your unease, your lack of security are being driven by things that aren't necessarily physical needs, what do you do? What do we do? How do we master our anxieties in the kingdom of God today? Because we all have them. I want to be quite honest. I did not want to write this sermon I actually put it off for a long time. I actually don't want to be up here today. And I can't believe that I'm the one up here talking about this because I feel like a fraud because I am well acquainted with anxiety of all kinds. The kind that required going on medication for a little just because um, everything was out of control and, and my body couldn't re-regulate itself. The kind that requires ongoing therapy the kind that keeps me awake at night, the kind that consumes my thoughts, the kind that makes me afraid and paralyzes me, leaving me captive to my own mind. My left eye twitches all of the time. Can anybody else relate? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and fear is an easy method of destruction because it leaves us paralyzed, immovable, unproductive. Jesus even says in the passage we just read, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Nope. But they sure do rob us of moments. They rob us of life. That's not abundant living. And I want to live an abundant life. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else that Jesus comes to give us life. Uncertainty in life is a guarantee. I love the idea of being in control of what happens to me. I get to choose the direction in my life. I get to choose what I do and don't do. It's a false sense of control. I get that. But when uncertainty comes in the mix, I don't feel in control anymore it becomes obvious that I'm not in control and that uncertainty feels unsafe and then I don't feel secure and then that leaves me afraid, paralyzed, looking for any way out, any solution that would bring relief and resolve and it's reactive. Fear makes us desperate and reactive and that can be damaging to ourselves and damaging to the people around us. Who wants to live that way? Nobody. I would argue nobody wants to live that way. So what do we do with our anxiety? Jesus tells us in verse 33, he says it very plainly. 
Number one, we seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek God's rule and reign in your life above all else. When you do that, when you say to the Lord, when you can say to the Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's Sermon on the Mount stuff too. It's earlier in chapter 6. Not my will, not my worries, not my agenda, your kingdom, your agenda, as in heaven, so on earth, as in your kingdom, so in my life. When we can say that, when we can trust that the rule and reign of God is present and active in our lives, we will become so secure and confident in God's rule and reign that worry and fear don't fit in anywhere. They don't belong. They don't fit anymore because trust has replaced fear. We're going to cheat a little bit and we're going to leave the Sermon on the Mount for a minute because I want to end our time with some practical application. And I think that we find that in a different place in the New Testament. Because when we ask the question, what does it look like to actively seek the kingdom of God and lay down our worries and anxieties what, we, what, like, what does that look like? What actually does that look like? And I think the perfect place to go for this is the book of Philippians, specifically chapter 4. Because I think the Apostle Paul is a prime example of what it looks like to live a life that does not succumb to anxiety and actively pursues the rule and reign of God in his life. This will be up on the screen, so let's take a look. We're going to begin in Philippians 4, verse 6. This is what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi from prison. He's in jail. It's not the first time he's in jail. It won't be the last time. Paul has experienced what it's like to be in prison, obviously, to be shipwrecked, to be lost at sea, to be beaten, abandoned, hungry, alone, without resources. If there is anybody who knows what anxiety feels like, both physical need and emotional need, it's going to be the Apostle Paul. And what does he say? He says, don't worry. Don't worry. And he gives us a step-by-step -step process for how to deal with anxiety. So we just talked, like, what's the first step in dealing with anxiety? Number one, we seek the kingdom of God. Number two, we don't worry. That's why he says, plain as day, don't worry. But it doesn't end there. So number three, he goes on in verse six. He says, make better use of your time. He doesn't say that. I'm saying that. I am saying, make better use of your time. I feel like it's implied. We're okay. Make better use of your time and pray about everything. 
You know what doesn't add to your life? Worrying. You know what does add to your life? Praying. About everything. Talk to God about everything. I write it down. I'm a journaler. And there are times that I don't want to talk to God, that I don't want to talk to him about anything. I just want to shut it. I just want to shut it down, guys. I cannot tell you how real this message has been to me this week. I can't tell you. These steps that I'm giving you have been so real in my life the past few days. I think that's the only reason I can stand up here and talk to you from a broken place. Talk to God about everything. Everything. He has things to say to you. What is bothering you? What do you need? What are you afraid of? I don't care how irrational or dumb it is. It's necessary. Because when we don't talk to God about these things, they just sit in our minds and it stews and it stirs and it gets out of control. And then the things that, don't feel, that aren't true start to feel true. Start, you start to believe it and you can't pick out what is true from what is false. But God can. And when we tell him everything, when we make that the practice, of telling him everything, he, it invites him in to that space. It's accepting his rule and reign in our lives. Telling God about your anxieties lets him speak into it and tell you what is true. It doesn't end there. These practical steps don't end there. So we don't worry we seek the kingdom. We tell God about everything. The next thing is we thank him for all he has done. Where has God been faithful in your life? What are the good things that living in his kingdom has brought you? Get specific. If you need to, start big. I've been brought into the kingdom of God. I'm no longer living in the kingdom of darkness. That's a gift. Thank you. I've been forgiven of my sin. That's a gift. Thank you. I've been invited into relationship with the eternal God. That's unbelievable. Thank you. He wants to give me an abundant life. Thank you. I woke up today. Thank you. I have really great friends and family. Thank you. I'm able to stand up here in this moment without weeping uncontrollably. Thank you. He has answered prayers for me before. Thank you. Write this stuff down. Make a list. Give thanks because you're going to need it down the road when worry, anxiety, and fear rise up. Go back to what you know is true about God, what you know is true about his character and his kingdom, and give thanks and hold on to those things. When we do these things, when we give our anxieties, over, when we talk to God, when we give thanks to him, we are actively fighting 
against the anxiety and fear that rise up in our lives. We are participating in the kingdom of God because we are saying, not my, not my will, not my fear, not my agenda, your kingdom. And what is the result? Paul tells us in verse 7, we're going to read that again. Philippians 4, 7, he says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. A peace that doesn't make sense to our own understanding. A peace that we can't create on our own, no matter how hard we try or how much self-help we apply. It's a peace that comes from him alone. And I want to tell you, this peace does not mean the absence of difficulty. It does not mean that when this peace comes, everything feels great and everything feels happy and everything is wonderful. It's a peace that passes understanding because it's a peace that comes when you still feel broken. It's a peace that comes when you still feel sorrow. Sorrow and peace can't exist together. It's a peace that comes that even though you don't know what's going on tomorrow, you trust that God does. And you're living in his kingdom. That's the peace that passes all understanding. The mind is a battlefield and we need help. And when we submit to the rule and reign of God and we invite him into that space in our lives, he shows up and he sets up guard against your heart, for your heart, for your mind. And that's what we trust. We're not, we're not done yet. I told you this is a practical guide. So we seek the kingdom. We seek God's rule and reign. We don't worry. We tell him everything. We give thanks for everything. We let his peace reign in our lives. The next thing we do is we fix our thoughts. This comes from verse 8. To fix is to decide on a specific course of action. You're not tossed about. You're not subject to your thoughts. You decide what you will do with your thoughts. You get a choice. When worry and, and, and anxiety and fear rise up in your life, you are the master of that situation. The emotion is not the master. That's what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. These things don't master you. You master them because you're living under God's rule and reign now. You decide what you will do with your thoughts. And Paul says, you fix them. You fix them on these things. What is true? And what is our source of truth? We have scripture. We have Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who reminds us what is true. What is honorable? He says, fix them on what is honorable. Another way to say this would be what is worthy. What is worthy of your thoughts? Is a made-up situation that hasn't happened yet or doesn't even exist worthy of your thoughts? No. So what is worthy? We come back to what is true. He says, fix your thoughts on what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. He sums this all up by saying, think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We talked about this. It's making that list 
of things that are true about God and what he has done in your life, and it's going back to Scripture and witnessing all over again the stories of his faithfulness over and over and over. It's thanksgiving and praise even in the midst of difficulty and sorrow, and it's fixing your mind on those things, deciding to set your mind on those things. And here's the final thing that he says. He says, keep putting this into practice. This is not a one and done deal. The kingdom is already, but not yet. Remember, it's present, but so is the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy of God would love nothing more than to see you trapped in a cycle of worry and fear. Our job is to continue the practice of mastering our anxieties. Not just anxiety, but anger and desire and those kinds of things, but those aren't my subjects today. We use scripture to learn what, is, what it is to live life in the kingdom of God. And Paul tells them in verse 9, keep putting it into practice. Keep doing what you learned from me. Keep doing this practice. This is disruptive discipleship. We are not mastered by the things that control the world around us. Anger, fear, lust. We master them. And we keep practicing this mastery. We seek God's rule. We seek God's reign. We say, as in heaven, so on earth, in my life, as it is in your kingdom. And we keep doing it. We walk it out together. That is life in the kingdom of God. We walk this out together. We speak truth and love to one another. We help one another. My goodness, the amount of people in my life who are willing to not just listen to me, but will speak truth back to my fear in gentleness and love, that's a gift. I was talking to a good friend last week, and I was, it was, I was spiraling, it was spiraling, to the place where everything that was untrue felt true, and I couldn't find truth anymore. And she listened but then she interrupted me. <laughs> and she said, I want to hear, hear what you have to say. I want to listen to you because what you have to say is valid. Your emotions are real. But I want to step in right here because what you're saying is not true. And you need to know what is true. And she spoke truth to me in gentleness and love. Because I couldn't find, I was just so in my thoughts in my worry, I couldn't find what was true anymore, and she stepped in, and that's community. It's how the kingdom of God works. It's necessary. We are necessary to one another. I want to invite the worship team back up as we close out this message. Fear is a terrible master and it will suck the life out of you. But the good news of the kingdom is that you are now under the rule and reign of God, and he loves you, and he wants to give you an abundant life in him. Fear is not your master. You get to be the master of your thoughts now. You get to submit those to Jesus Christ. He gets to step in and guard your heart and your mind. You get a choice. 
And that's the thing about today. That's the thing about this message is you get to make a choice. We get to make a choice. Jesus gave people the choice, and some people walked away because the message was so difficult. It's tough. It's easier to give in to emotions that are indulged. But we get to choose. So my final question to you is anxiety, worry, fear, something that you are presently struggling with? What are you going to do? Maybe you need to see someone. Maybe working through some things with a counselor or a therapist is the right option for you. You just need some outside help to get started down the right road, to help with fixing your mind on what is true. It can change a lot of things. It has become an invaluable resource in my life. If you need a recommendation, if you would like to see a counselor or a therapist and you need a recommendation, reach out to us, that same Help at Eagle Church email address. We can get you pointed and connected with someone. That's an option. Another option is maybe it's time to start seeking the kingdom. You've been going at things alone. It's just you and your mind for a long time, and things aren't getting any better because fear is a terrible master. And the kingdom of darkness only leads to death. But the rule and reign of God says that anxiety doesn't have to be your master. Fear doesn't have to be your master. You don't have to stay in the kingdom of darkness. You can say to the Lord, I want to live under your rule and reign. I want that abundant life, that true life. That's a choice. A lot of you are already in the kingdom, but you're still living like you're subject to the kingdom of darkness. Anxiety runs amok in your mind. Now would be the time to start seeking the kingdom, putting these things into practice. So take this note sheet home. Stick it somewhere where you're guaranteed to see it. Start working through the practice of seeking the kingdom, talking to God about everything, letting his peace reign in your heart, fixing your mind. Start that practice. Invite God into the process. That's a choice. The final thing is tell somebody about it. Tell them what you're going through. A spouse, a trusted friend, a companion, a spiritual leader, a family and friends who are present and faithful. Tell somebody. Because fear and worry lose a lot of power when we say things out loud. And we need one another. We need each other as a constant in our lives to speak truth and love. It's disruptive to the pattern of living that has become acceptable, normal, even encouraged in the world around us. But we don't live in that kingdom anymore. So let's make a deal together this morning, in this room, right now, that we're going to live like we're a part of God's rule and reign here on earth right now. And while we don't see it in full yet, we will see it in full someday. And we are moving to that day together. We're going to close in prayer and I would invite you to stand. You are part 
of God's rule and reign here on earth. And the choice you get to make is whether or not you want to live like it. So let's live like it. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. for the mercy that you give, for the grace that you give, for the understanding that you have of what it is to be human. Lord, we lift up every heart in this room. You know every struggle, every area, every place of brokenness, every place of sorrow, you know it. And you hold it. And it's dear to you. We ask that you would give us the courage to lay down our worries and our fears, to trust you, to trust your kingdom, to find our security in you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the grace to live this out together, to be people who walk with one another in community, who speak truth to one another in love, in encouragement. We thank you that you have not left, left us alone, that you give us the truth of your word, the truth of your character, the presence of your Holy Spirit to remind us. And as you're working in every heart in this place, we, we want to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth now. As it has always been in heaven. We love you. We're thankful for you. And it's in your awesome name we pray. Amen.